You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning again. Hello, everyone up at the mills. It is uh, good to be with you today on this second Sunday of Advent, uh, the Sunday where we talk about the peace of God. We light the peace candle, and I'm just praying that all of you have peace with God and that the peace of God is in your heart, that you might uh, be at peace with others in your lives also. Christmas, Christmas, it's, it's, a, it's a magical season in many ways. When I think about it, you know, the magic of season is that sense of anticipation, is it not? I love that, that sweet anticipation of good things that are soon to happen. Um, that's what I think that magic of Christmas tries to capture. It's the sense that, hey, school's going to be shut down for a couple weeks or a week and a half. I mean, that's exciting for students and teachers and school workers and The kids are coming home, for those of you that have children that are away from home. There's a great anticipation of that. Hopefully, you have some extra days off of work that you can anticipate. And uh, and I pray that it's somehow, some way over the holidays, you're sharing special times with special people in your lives. And that's that magical feeling, I think, that we get with Christmas. And in in a small way, I believe that that taps into the original Christmas when Christ came in the sense that it was all about expectations of what the Messiah would bring. The Old Testament prophecies, the Intertestament period, this whole idea that God was going to come and rescue us, God was going to deliver us, he was going to save us and help us. And, and so those messianic hopes and expectations were high. And that's what Christ came, that's what that first Christmas is all about. Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And later on, it goes on to say that their great expectations include a child that will be born someday, and that child will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government will be on on, earth. His government and his peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. Can you say, those are some great expectations, right? Awesome expectations. And so in a nutshell, Christmas means God is coming near. And God, who is, 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 is our creator, the lover of our souls, the one in whom we place all of our hope is going to come close to us. And when God comes, change is going to come with that. And that's what we're talking about over this, this Advent season. Great expectations when change comes knocking. John the Baptist went around telling everybody, quoting the, uh, the words of Isaiah, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for God to come into your life. And and he was preparing them for the changes that Jesus would bring. So how are you preparing for the change that Jesus wants to bring in your life? Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for the new life that he wants to give you? I mean, who of us doesn't want a better life, right? I mean, who doesn't want the joy to know that we are forgiven Who doesn't want to be free from past guilt and shame and regret? Who doesn't want to break the chains of addiction and bitterness? Who doesn't want to walk out of darkness into the bright light of God's peace? Do we not all want that? If so, can you say amen, somebody? 
hate it when I have to prompt you. <clears throat> so when Jesus comes knocking, we need to be ready for change. And we began to talk about this last week, and we realized that change can come in an instant. Change is constant. Life is constantly changing. The only thing that is constant in life is that life is always changing. And we talked last week about the change in Mary when, when the angel Gabriel knocked on, <laughs> on Mary's door saying, you're going to have a baby. And imagine all the changes that went through her immediately and, and the stresses that go along with that. She was full of fear and, and trepidation and anxiety. And, and yet we see that in Mary's life, she had an anchor for her soul, and that was trust in God. Let it be to me as according to your word was how that, that ended in that Luke 1 uh, passage. But as you and I know, Mary wasn't alone in this, right? She was engaged to be married to Joseph. And Gabriel didn't go to Joseph. Imagine that. Mary had to tell Joseph the happy news. <laughs> I mean, I could just imagine the conversation. You know, I think uh, Mary saying to Joe, uh, you know I love you, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Joey, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you love me? Uh, of course I do. I want to marry you. Uh, well, Joe, honey, um, I have some really good news. We're going to have a baby. And can you imagine the shock that went through him knowing that he had not had relations with her? Change came to Joseph in a moment. How was he supposed to handle that change? What was he going to do? And, uh, and that raises the broader question, how do you handle change? Even good news that comes to you that might not appear to be good news at first. So let's take a look at Joseph. We're going we're gonna to use Joseph as a little bit of a backdrop this morning as we continue this, this talk about change. Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bible, turn with me there. Matthew chapter 1, and beginning in verse 18, we're going to look at a few verses right there. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and uh, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph, he was a good man. He followed the rules. He did what you're supposed to do. He, 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 he asked for her to, to be married to him, or they were pledged to be married. I'm not sure if this was arranged by the parents or how it happened in that culture, but they had an agreement, and they were waiting for the right time to consummate that marriage. And so Joseph was a, he was a good man. But then Mary mysteriously, I mean, if there's ever a definition of mysteriously, that's the definition right there, right? Mary mysteriously becomes pregnant 
And she tells him about Gabriel's visit. Did he believe her? <laughs> how many of you? No, I shouldn't ask that question. Um, how many women have tried that one, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Even if, even if he did believe, who else would believe that an, a, an angel appeared to her? And, and what would people think? He was a good man. He had a good reputation. And now his reputation is, is ruined or at least sullied a bit. Her reputation is ruined. And, and could, could he raise a child that is not his own? Could he really be that father to that baby? Notice it said he did not want to disgrace her publicly. Joseph was embarrassed by this situation. And, and so to save himself the embarrassment as well as to save Mary the embarrassment, he decided to break it off quietly. Well, we just uh, changed our mind. We had different plans. We realized that we weren't right for each other. Let's just, uh, let's just cut our losses and go our separate ways. Mary, you can go off and you know, live with some aunt somewhere and have your baby and be a single mother. Hopefully somebody will marry you and take care of you. Mary trusted God in this whole situation. Obviously, she had that experience with Gabriel. So she was able to change and adjust her expectations for what a conventional marriage was supposed to be like in an engagement. But it took Joseph a little more time to adjust his great expectations for a wedding and a honeymoon with Mary. So here's the point I want to make. That change comes to everyone, but not everyone happens to change. Change happens to everyone, but not everybody happens to change. And this is the thing. There's a difference between change and transition. Change is situational. Change is what happens to us. Change can happen quickly. Transition is psychological. It's that process of adapting and adjusting to the changes that come to us. And transition is a process that takes a little bit more time. Uh, take, take, you know, if I can talk about them. If you're listening, mom and dad, I'm talking about you. So, you know, perk up. My parents... 85, 84 years old, went through a huge change this year. They've been living in Naples, Florida for the past 20 years or so, and or 15 or more years, going down there much longer than that. And, uh, and this year, due to health issues and such, well, they moved to Rochester, New York. Oh, yeah, I hear you. That, 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 that groan. Uh, Mom and Dad, I want you to know everybody's sympathetic for you there. My sister lives there. We all know that, that this was in many ways the right change, a good change for them. They have family close by. They have my sister, and I'm a little closer, and we're able to be there a little more for them and help them to get the medical attention they have and just be there. And they moved into a, an assisted living place, so they've been living on their own in their own place for all these years, and now they're living in an apartment and eating meals with other people. And talk about change. It, it took about, a, a, well, maybe a few days for them to make the change. That happened back in March, I believe. 
the transition is still going on. <laughs> One of which is, it's Rochester, and winter is coming. Um, so let's go buy some coats and boots. No. They don't want to. <laughs> These things are too bulky. They're too heavy. I don't want to wear that. Um, I don't like those boots. Uh, there's got to be some that I can like. Well, if you don't wear them for all these years, and it's difficult to make that, that transition. It's hard for them to do that. So change happens quickly. Transition happens a little more slowly. Can you think of a time when you went through a big change and it took you time to transition to that change? How many think, think of a situation in your life where you went, it could have been when you got married. That's a huge change. It happens quickly. But some of us, I'm not saying us, I'm collectively us, are still transitioning to that change. <laughs> After 20, how many years? 30 some years, yeah. <laughs> We're still transitioning. <laughs> Yeah, 33 years. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Seems like yesterday. So anyhow, how many of you, you've gone through a change, you've gone through something that happened, and it took you a while to transition. Maybe it was a move, maybe it was a new job, maybe it was, you know, marriage, maybe it was a breakup of a relationship, maybe it was your parents' breakup, I don't know. Change happened, and it's taken you a while. I want you to think of that. Now, do you have something in your mind? What I want you to do is share that with somebody nearby, if you can do that. Take a moment. I want you to share quickly what the change was and how long it took you to go through to transition to that change. Go ahead right now. I'm going to give you three minutes. Talk among yourselves. All right. You can carry that on and conversation on afterwards if you want. I noticed for some of us it might be too difficult to even talk about that situation, is it not? And uh, it brings up uh, difficult feelings. So let's just talk about the dynamics. I mentioned this last week. Three phases generally of transition. The first is letting go of the past. And, and, and then there is that in-between time, sort of the wilderness wanderings, the neutral zone, as, as uh, some, uh, a great book on transition uh, talks about. It's that in-between time. And then there is the, the phase of embracing the new. Now, these don't happen in a linear way. They are not necessarily sequential, although to a degree they are. They overlap a lot because as you're letting go of the past, you're trying to embrace and you're, try and you're still in the in-between. They overlap, but the first part of that is, is letting go of the past. And here's the thing. Every beginning ends something else. Every new beginning ends something else. And there are challenges to letting go, no matter how good the new beginning is. Before you begin something new, you have to end what used to be. I mean, it's interesting that a commencement ceremony to celebrate graduation marks the beginning of a new life, but it is really marking the ending of your school years, right? 
They call it commencement, but it's really the last thing you do as a high school or a college student is that, that ceremony. So it's the ending of something, and it's very important sometimes to have those kinds of ceremonies to help us mark the endings of things. Have you ever known anybody that, well, they went through commencement, but they never really left high school? <laughs> yeah, we all know those people, right? Still living in high school years, and, uh, and, and, and they never move on from that. And why is that? It's because people don't like endings, generally speaking. Endings are tough. All changes, even the most longed for, one writer said, has their, have their melancholy. For what we leave behind is part of ourselves. And we must die to one life before we can enter into another. And so endings is sort of a dying process. It's a great book that I highly recommend that's in our book nook uh, called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. I highly recommend it. Henry Cloud says, going to the next level always requires ending something, leaving it behind and moving on. And without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they were meant to be. So for Joseph, what was ending? What did Joseph need to let go in order to embrace this new idea that Mary was pregnant and in a mysterious way? Well, obviously, he had to let go of his expectations for a conventional engagement in marriage, correct? It's just not going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen. Any of you go through that in life? It's like, man, my life isn't happening the way I thought it was going to happen. It didn't turn out the way I had planned. We don't plan everything in our life. We have to adapt to the plans that come our way sometimes. He had to let go of his good reputation. He had to let go of his singleness. He had to let go of his independence. Everyone who gets married, moves in with somebody, has to let go of certain things. And and God understood how difficult that would be for Joseph to adjust his great expectations. And so God orchestrated an intervention for him. As God did for for Mary with the angel, God orchestrated a bit of an intervention for Joseph. And that's where we pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20, it says, As he, Joseph, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son. And you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, Joseph, at first, when Mary talked to him, I'm sure, could not think of the bigger picture. He could not see beyond himself. All he was consumed with at first was his own loss, his own great expectations, his own hopes and dreams that were now being shattered by the news that Mary brought to him. So he was consumed by those thoughts, unable to adjust to the change, and he needed an outside perspective, and God gave him an outside perspective. And so when change comes upon us, our understanding is limited, and we naturally focus on what we lose. So, so endings require new perspectives. We need to gain a new perspective. So how did God help Joseph let go by gaining a new perspective? Well, first of all, God came to him in, in the form of this angel in a dream. All right? 
So it wasn't Gabriel, it was just a dream that he had where an angel was speaking to him. And to apply that personally, let's just say that sometimes when people are going through a great change, they need somebody with flesh on to be an angel for them. Right? They need somebody who will just show up. Somebody that will just be there. Somebody that will acknowledge that they have an issue and they're struggling and wrestling with that issue. They need somebody to be a compassionate presence in their life. And, and, and nobody can, can undervalue the, or, or underestimate the value of presence. Just being there for a person. And not only was the angel just there, the angel acknowledged Joseph's loss. Now, he said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So what he did was he acknowledged that this was a fearful experience for him. This is tough for you. I realize you're going through a big change right now. Oh, it might be great, but I understand you must be anxious about that. So, so you help others accept their loss when you acknowledge their loss. Now, one could read what the angel said, and he was minimizing the loss. I don't believe that, that that's what he was doing there. I think it was the fact that he would just show up, God appearing to him as an angel, is... is, is you know, how many times has that happened to you? So it, it acknowledged the fact that he was going through a loss. And I think you help others when you openly and sympathetically identify their losses with them. Do not minimize their loss. And when you're going through a change, own it. Identify it. You know, this is really tough making this move. It's not easy now. I was living this way. Now I'm living that way. I had this and now I have that. I've made changes. Not all the bad changes. I, you know, we, we speak about change. Oftentimes we always put a negative connotation. No. Change is oftentimes good. But even good changes have their bittersweet moments. And the endings is perhaps the bitter part of it. Letting go of the past and what you had. So openly, sympathetically, identifying their losses with them. And not only did that, the angel informed him. The angel came to him, acknowledged his loss, and he informed him. She will have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. So people who are going through change need information. Trust me is not information. Giving them information helps them deal with the change that are happening. The information about their emotion, the emotion that comes with feeling the sense of loss, and information about what the new things will happen. Even if you don't have a clear picture of what the new change will bring, keep giving information to people who are going through change, and that will help them. So the angel informed him. Don't, do, don't give trite platitudes. Give the truthful facts. You know, this is going to be hard for you. It's going to take time for you to adjust to this change. You're losing certain things, but what is it that you will be gaining? What do we learn? You know, you, you coach a person through that. So there's always, there's always the good news and the bad news. You know, the good news is, hey, you know, Joseph, the Savior is coming. That's information. The bad news, you're going to have to be the father of this child that's going to suffer and all that Jesus went through. 
The other thing I think that we can assume from this is it took time. There was at least, well, eight or nine months before Jesus was born that they adjusted to the transition that was about to take place. Some transitions take longer than others. So change happens to everyone, but not everyone happens to change. Every beginning starts with an ending, and successful endings require new perspectives. You know, there was another person. In the very next story we read in Matthew chapter 2, we see about Herod. Herod was the king of the Jews. And the Magi came from the east bearing gifts for this babe that was to be born. And somehow God had communicated to them that this babe was born in Bethlehem. They come to the area. They're looking for Jesus. They follow the star. They send out word. Where's the king of the Jews? And Herod, the current king of the Jews, this new baby, he hears about it. Well, I'm the king of the Jews. Who are you coming to worship? These are, why, these are people that are, that, that are esteemed by far. It's like other, other empires now are hearing that there's going to be a new king that undermines his authority. It's a threat to him. Obviously, the person in power has the power. People in power do not want to change. Duh. <laughs> and, and, and so Herod was not about to change. And we know what happened there with Herod and the slaughter of the innocents there. When Jesus comes knocking, some will not want to accept him. When Jesus comes knocking, some will slam the door in his face. People do not want to lose what they currently have, even if it means that they could have something better. Herod, the king of the Jews, and he was half Jewish, would have known about the messianic hopes and dreams. He, he would have been familiar and aware of that. But as long as he's the local Messiah, he's not going to give it up to somebody else. So... So when we are our own Messiah, we don't want another Messiah. When we are the savior of our own souls, when we are in control of our own destiny, when we are the ones who think that we are in control of all of our life and we can fix all our problems and we can do, we are not open to what Jesus wants to bring into our lives. And so that was, that was Herod, how this, this Jesus coming knocking on his door changed him. But you know what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's good news. And Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ in Bethlehem 2,000 years. Christ come. But Advent celebrates the birth of Christ in our own lives, in our own hearts. And with new life in Christ, change comes. And Colossians chapter 3 and very many other places in the New Testament talks about the change that take place. It says in Colossians 3.1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And then it goes on and says, Then therefore we are to take off the old life, all the immorality, all the rage, all the malice, all the anger, all that goes along with that. We are to discard that old self like old clothing 
And we are to put on the new self with compassion and kindness and humility and patience. Coming to Christ and becoming a new creature means dying to the old person that you were. And frankly, there are a lot of Christians who want Christ, but they don't want to discard the old. They're like spiritual hoarders. You know, they hoard all their old ways and their old lives, and they want Jesus to just be another add-on. And their life becomes too crowded and cluttered with things, and many of those things don't belong with the new life of Christ. But they think that they can have it all. And they refuse to let go of the past. They refuse to let go of the old life and the old sins and the old addictions and the old ways and the old anger and the old bitterness and the old... uh, And they think that they can have the new life at the same time. How many of you know people like that? How many of you fight that in your own heart? Yeah. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Christians who claim to have new life without changing their old ways are either kidding themselves or they're very miserable people. They're like people who move from Florida to the snow belt and they don't want to buy boots and coats. I mean, they just don't want to have to do what they need to do to change. And then they walk out and they're miserable because it's cold outside. I love you, mom and dad. (laughs) A great example of this is the nation of Israel when they were delivered out of bondage. You remember? I mean, they were in slavery. They were being abused by, by, the, by the, the slave drivers and by Pharaoh. They were, they were in the worst situation possible. And God uses Moses to come down and miraculously with the plagues and everything delivers them. They plunder Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They're headed toward the promised land. They go in that wilderness area, that neutral zone, that in-between where they gain a new identity. They are creative in who are we, who are we about, what are we to be, who are we to become. And God puts them at the edge of the promised land. They send out scouts and the scouts come back and say, well, there's going to be some giants in the land. Well, what do you think they just accomplished? Don't you think God took care of a big giant in Pharaoh and his armies? And here they come to the next giant and say, oh, whoa, are we? Oh, it's so hard to be free. Oh, it's so difficult to be liberated. Oh, we can't handle it. We want to go back to Egypt. Oh, at least in Egypt, we knew what to expect. Oh, in Egypt, life was better in Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. You see, getting people out of Egypt was a lot easier than getting Egypt out of the people. And for many Christians, getting the old life out of the Christian is a lot more difficult than getting Christ into the person. Change is easy. Transition is difficult. And it's individually that way, and it's with organizations that way. Anybody that's ever had to lead an organization through change understands the difficulties in making change in an organization of any kind. I talked with a, a church board member just, just the other day, Friday I think it was, he called and uh, 
called me regarding a reference for a pastoral candidate for their church. The pastor they had there, a good guy, had been there for many years, and an older gentleman, and he had suffered a, a, a couple of little strokes and some heart issues and had to step out. But over the years, he continued to preach, and, uh, and, and as his abilities declined, so the attendance declined, particularly among uh, the college students, because it was in a college town, and a lot of the, uh, the college students in that town had ceased to go there and started going to another church. And so now they're looking for a new pastor, and they're wanting a pastor who's going to be able to communicate to the college students and the younger audience in the crowd, in the, in the community, and, and so they were asking me about this candidate. And, um, and it was interesting because as I was talking to the board member, we were talking about the changes that, that the whole church is going through. And in many ways, you know, they, they know that they want to change. And he, he made this statement. It was, these are his words exactly. He said, you know, the good news is the church is going to change. The bad news is the church is going to change. Right? We know the good news is we need to change. The bad news is we have to let go of the old. You know, we love that person. We, we appreciate him. And he's a great person. He'll still be there. So you need to esteem what you've had, but you need to be willing to change into the new. And for that church, it's not easy. And you know, even in at Riverside, this church has changed a lot since we began as a small group of people up in Penn Hills meeting in Masonic Hall. There was a couple dozen of us. And, and each ch- change along the way, there were good things about it and there were difficult things about it. When you go from having uh, the church party, a uh, Christmas party, and they all show up in your living room, you know everybody, right? There's just a very few of us left. You know everybody. Everybody knows everybody. You know each other's families. You're involved in each other's lives. The whole church is a small group. You have a level of intimacy. Then you move to a new place. You pick up new people. You can't have that party anymore. You got to do it elsewhere. You change. And every level of change, though they may have been good changes, there were things that we lost along the way, and there were people that weren't able to make those changes along the way. You move from one location to another. You go from one service to two services. You move from one community to another community. You, you, you multiply into three services, and you cut back one of the three services when you start another place because you have two there, two here, and you lose the people that came to the early service because they thought they owned it, and you take it away. Well, we don't have that 8 o'clock anymore. I'm not coming there. What are you supposed to do, you know? There's changes that are happening all the time, and sometimes people can embrace them, and sometimes people don't embrace them. It's just the facts of organizational change. It's the same fact of personal change. They're not good or bad things. They're just, it is the way it is, and it's hard. Change is constant, but we need to be people who are willing to say yes. Now, does that mean that all change is good change? No, I'm not claiming that at all. Some changes aren't good changes. But the fact of the matter is, we all need to be willing, even when the bad things happen to us, that we did not choose. 
the death of a spouse, the loss of a job. You know, a child goes astray. We don't want those things, but we need to adapt. We need to transition. We need to change. If we are going to move forward in our life, if we are going to take the next steps, there will always be changes in a church, in an organization. We have changes planned. We're getting a new place. We're going to build that out. That's going to change. It's going to take funds. It's going to take people stepping up. We want to upgrade this place. Uh, and we want to do changes, but it's going to take effort to do that. It's going to take willingness to say, okay, there's certain things we need to let go of, but what is, what is it that we are going to gain? What are we going to, what's going to be better? Can we adapt? Can we change? But in your own life, what are the things that you're having difficulty letting go? What, what pain, what emotional attachments, what, those are hard, gosh. They're hard. How do we need to move forward when we, we can't let go? Those things, we, they're like pegs in the ground that we're chained to, and you can only go so far, and you feel... You just can't go any farther. How many of you are stuck like that? It's like you can only go so far, but you're chained. Your leg is chained to this peg in the ground, and you just can't move forward. You need to break that chain. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's grief, and I don't ever want to minimize that, and I know it takes time. It takes time but some things you can hold on to and take with you too. Some things you can take with you even as you go into the new. Some things you gotta let go of. And only you know what those are. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's the anger. Maybe it's regret. Maybe it's some, whatever it is that's holding you back. Maybe it's just the sense of I love that life and I'm not too excited about this life. And you can't embrace this life because you're still loving the old life that you no longer have. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. So I just want to pray right now, this second Sunday of Advent, when we talk about the peace of God, I pray that God fills your heart with peace and that that peace gives you the assurance that as you move on, the same God that was there in the past is going to be with you in the present and in the future. That's one thing you can always take with you is your relationship with Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you need the peace to be able to break whatever chain is holding you back. You need to have a necessary ending in your life of some sort to be able to move forward in other ways. Can we do that? Can we do that? I think we need sometimes a divine intervention to do that, as Joseph did. And I want to pray for that right now. Would you bow your heads with me at the mills and here in Oakmont? And Lord, I just do pray for that, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would intervene in our hearts. 
Thank you for your presence that comes alongside us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for understanding that it's not easy. Endings are difficult. And God, we need you to, to, to reassure us that, that you understand the pain and the suffering of loss. God, you love the so, world so much that you gave your son and who gave his life and a Mary, a mother that raised a child that lost him in that horrendous and most glorious act of salvation. And, and, and a, a stepfather who raised him and sort of faded into the background. Was willing to go through his changing, his expectations. God... Give us people. Help me. And, and I know the older I grow, the more difficult it is to be flexible and, and change. God, give me the grace to, to adapt to the changes that are happening around me that are beyond my control. And even to make changes internally that, that I have to do by the power and help of your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray for everyone here, even as we face this bittersweet time, I pray, God, that you will give us the grace and mercy and help us all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.